As one of America's largest financial services companies, Nationwide makes simplicity a priority so financial professionals can help their clients achieve their retirement goals. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen, along with Jonathan Farrell and Lisa Abramowitz. Daily, we bring you insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. Find Bloomberg Surveillance on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on the Bloomberg Terminal. Joining us now, Christian Muller-Glissman, Managing Director for Portfolio Strategy at Goldman Sachs. Christian, is this a bubble bursting? Listen, I think um, you definitely are dealing with a significant valuation reset here. There's no doubt about it. And to some extent, um, that that was in the making. You remember we spoke about that a few months ago, um, and we wrote about that in our balanced bear research. Unfortunately, coming out of COVID, you had this constellation of both bonds and equities being incredibly expensive. And now you're entering into a very challenging growth inflation mix, um, where I think inflation is sticky, growth is decelerating. And I think the market is now derating those valuations. And as you were saying, in particular in the markets, where I guess the uncertainty on the growth and all the earnings is the highest. So long duration um, tech uh, more recently, um, and before that cyclicals versus defenses. I think they've also been derated materially. How far along in this derating, Christian, are we? Always tough to say, because if you look at valuations compared to um, the average since the 90s, um, we're, we're moving below that average now. But we know we're not in the 90s anymore. I think we're dealing with much higher inflation, much higher inflation volatility, a very different uncertainty on monetary policy. And even the growth picture, I think, has certain uncertainties, um, which are maybe more tactical in nature with Russia, Ukraine and China. Um, but I think there's also some structural questions with regards to what's the next growth engine. So you could argue that the valuation derating um, um, could continue. But what I would say, though, is, and, and I think John mentioned that earlier, I think we start to see the, the peak a bit in, in the bond yields. And we, we, we also have seen tentative signs of the peak in inflation. And we might shift 
shift from a high and rising inflation regime to something where inflation maybe is starting to, to decline. So we, that could start to, to stabilize things a bit. Hopefully uh, we didn't disrupt anything too much and anyone's calling from the compliance department to say, uh, no, please I think stop. he cleared it perfectly. I asked, <laughs> is it a bubble? And he said it's a valuation re-rent rating. I mean, okay. that's, that's, that's how you do this diplomatically. All right. So that we didn't necessarily uh, get the DJ in charge to call and get, uh, complain. I am wondering what the opportunities are that might be emerging if the derating has been uneven or perhaps heavy handed. Do you see any opportunities or do you think that at this point hiding out in treasuries, in duration, in the dollar seems to be a better bet and just go with the flow? Listen, I think near term, we, we might easily be stuck uh, a bit longer in a, in a fat and flat range. As, as we've been saying, the range is getting fatter and flatter, if you know what I mean. So the volatility definitely has been a bit larger. Positioning and sentiment is getting more bearish um, as we speak. And that creates a symmetry that creates opportunities. But you still need to find momentum. Like a, a good trade, a good investment thesis is always built on good asymmetry. Uh, kind of more upside than downside and, and, and good momentum. And I think right now you have to be very selective in picking those battles. I think we've been very focused on real assets um, and I think um, opportunities related to that. Um, I think clearly commodities um, are pretty high up in that range and commodity related assets. Infrastructure is a very interesting real asset because it doesn't do only well when inflation is high. It also does well when inflation is high and falling. Um, but I think clearly what we need to engage with in the next six to 12 months as we kind of look a bit forward is, is to really add risk um, and eventually add cyclical risk because that's where the market is getting the most bearish. So you can think about um, at some point a CapEx cycle um, driving selective opportunities. You can think about kind of even uh, places that are linked to, to the consumer discretionary spending, which are clearly um, a lot under pressure. Eventually, they will provide good asymmetries. Well, Christian, as you say these things and as John, Lisa and I have been talking about the brutal action we have seen in the market, someone writing into me on Twitter that the three of you make me want to crawl up in a ball, crawl up into a ball and cry this morning. And I'm sure there are a lot of people out sure, there who are feeling that. that way. For those people who just want to pull their money out of the market and go into cash, what would you advise them about how much cash you want to hold now to redeploy when those opportunities you just were talking about present themselves? Yeah, I mean, this is a very tough thing to generalize because it depends on each individual investor, the circumstances, you know it, like the risk tolerance and 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 these type of things. But I think we've been overweight cash um, since uh, the beginning of the year. And, and I think I'm not saying that um, there's not opportunities emerging for medium-term investors, but I do feel a, a decent cash allocation still makes sense. I think to your point, um, I think bonds are starting to buffer a bit. So you could argue that if you're really worried about um, a recession, um, kind of starting to introduce duration risk via bonds back in the portfolio might make sense. But what we've been saying is that um, duration to some extent is not a buffer right now, it's a risk. So it really depends on, on what you own right now. If you own long duration assets, I think adding duration back in the portfolio probably um, doesn't make much sense. So I think a decent cash allocation makes sense. Real assets, um, kind of assets that, that can protect you from debasement. If you're a dollar, investment, uh, a dollar investor, that's been difficult because the dollar has been the key um, safe asset. But if you are a, a non-US investor, um, clearly the dollar still has um, that characteristic that currently it's protecting um, and kind of purchasing power as the Fed is fighting inflation. Christian, brilliant work as always, mate. Thanks for being on with us. Christian Miller-Glissman there of Goldman Sachs.
Gabriela Santos, global market strategist at JP Morgan Asset Strategy Management, is joining us now. Gabriela, what will give you the conviction to go in there and say, this is it, this is the washout, we can start to buy? Lisa, I think the issue is we have three things happening at the same time. There's this growth conundrum with investors trying to figure out which is the most likely path from here. Is it a soft landing? Is it a recession? Is it stagflation? But you add on to that a correction of the excesses that we've built up over the last four years and amplified by a third factor, which is very low liquidity in both equities and fixed income markets. So I think at the moment, we've seen a big correction in valuations. We've seen nearly a 20% contraction in the multiple with the S&P 500 now trading at average valuations. But you still have very low conviction from investors to really truly believe this is um, the end because you still have all of these uncertainties. So what do we need to see? I think you especially need a bigger conviction on that growth scenario front. So you do need to see peak uh, in uh, housing costs. You need to see peak sanctions uh, towards Russia to feel more comfortable about commodity prices. And you need to see peak lockdowns in China to feel more comfortable about the growth outlook there. Gabriella, you talked about liquidity concerns, the fact that there is such little liquidity. You talked about the froth in markets that's gotten beaten out uh, by the readjustment in valuations. Are you starting to worry about financial market conditions, about the functioning of the basic nuts and bolts of how things trade and sell? So in terms of financial conditions, we have definitely seen a tightening in those ultra-loose conditions that we had at the beginning of the year. You now have the tightest financial conditions that we had since 2018, but still uh, pretty loose and, and just approaching neutral levels. So we're not quite concerned about tight financial conditions quite yet. In terms of the actual functioning of the markets, I think at the moment um, that is not a reason for concern uh, or a need for the Federal Reserve. Or, or other regulators to step in is just something that amplifies any of the moves that we see driven by the macro stories and something that causes more risk aversion and a hesitancy to step in from investors. Well, in your base case is still the Fed being able to execute that soft landing on that very, very narrow landing strip that John and Lisa were just talking about. With each day that passes, how much risk grows around that idea? So I think you invest based on your base case, which for us is a soft landing, but you diversify the other routes just in case, the recession and stagflation scenarios. So in terms of the investing based on the soft landing, we, we would still advocate for having a small overweight to stocks, a small underweight to duration, a balance between growth and value. But you want to still be diversifying the other scenarios. So to diversify the recession scenario, it's a small underweight to duration versus a big one at the beginning of the year. It's overlaying a quality factor on top of any of the stocks that we're thinking about investing. And in terms of diversifying the stagflation scenario, it means bringing uh, the prime candidate for stagflation Europe down more to a neutral. It's focusing on commodity exporting regions like Canada. And it's focusing on diversifiers like real assets that do well when inflation is the concern. Well, while we're talking about regional diversification, you mentioned Europe and Canada there. Let's talk about China, which you mentioned at the beginning, investors kind of need to see something changed with COVID zero policy. But it's not just that. You also have a serious crisis in the property sector. Sunak defaulted today because it didn't make its payment on a dollar bond coupon after that grace period expired. How are you thinking about China right now and where you would find an entry point in that market in particular? 
So I think emerging markets in China are also dealing with this trifecta of issues that we mentioned. In China, you had a correction of the excesses that already happened last year. That was a market that February 2021 was one standard deviation expensive. Now it's nearly one standard deviation cheap. You also have a growth scare happening at the same time, driven by some of those structural uh, slowdowns in the economy, namely property and low-end manufacturing, as well as the pandemic. So I think for investors, the correction of the valuation excesses is already there in China. Now you need to get a bit more comfortable on the growth picture. And for that, really, I'm looking for three things. The first is a redefinition of success when it comes to COVID zero. So it doesn't mean abandoning the policy, which is very tough to do. It's just redefining success, lowering the threshold for reopening. We also want to see that the policy put is still in place in China. So we want to see a little bit more monetary stimulus, maybe a cut in the loan prime rate this month. And lastly, we want to just see silence and regulations for investors <laughs> to get a bit more comfortable that we're past the worst. And there's an important innovation meeting next week, and it would be just welcome news to not see anything new come out of that. Gabriela Santos of J.P. Morgan Asset Management, thank you so much. Nobody ever says make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs, to ways to cover rising healthcare costs and more. Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Joining us now, Steve Rusciuto, Chief U.S. Economist at Mizuho, America. Steve, is there light at the end of this dark tunnel? Well, there is light at the end of the tunnel. Unfortunately, I think we're in the final stage of what is going to be a significant bear market, especially in equities. Uh, as we've started to disengage stocks and bonds yesterday, and it looks like again this morning, uh, I think that's recognition of the fact that what's taking place in terms of the equity market now is a rationalization or a recognition of the fact that the Federal Reserve is not going to be executing the Greenspan put anytime. And as a result of not doing that, the equity market has to begin taking down earnings expectations. So far, the decline in equities has been concentrated in the multiple as long-term interest rates go up, the multiple comes down, stock indices come down. Now we're at the phase, uh, I believe, where we're starting to see bonds go down and equities still go down at the same time. Bonds go down in yield and equities uh, go down in price. Uh, I think that's telling us that we're starting to get to the point where people need to start to downgrade their earnings numbers. And that's the final shoe that needed to fall in the equity market. We still could get down to that 3,500 um, on the S&P 500, and we could still wind up with slightly wider spreads. But if this trend continues with the two markets disengaged, i.e. bond yields can go down while equity 
uh, prices go down. We've really reached the top in the uh, uh, the yield on the 10-year note, maybe 334, 324 was, would have been the absolute top. 305 uh, is where we hit, I believe, at the top uh, in the last couple of weeks. Uh, I think we could very well be at the point where we have a top in the interest rate environment. Yes. Okay. So there's a lot to unpack there. I want to just start with the, what you first started on, the idea of we're at the final stages of a significant bear market. I'm curious what kind of recession you see getting priced into markets and frankly, as the most plausible in the next 12 to 24 months? Yeah, you've asked a great question there, uh, Lisa. I mean, I think when you when you look at what's taking place in the economy, I find a hard landing, which is a growth recession. I, I think the economy is going to be running well below trend. I can't discount or ignore the fact that we can have another quarter of negative GDP in here, unlikely to be back-to-back negative quarters of GDP. But we're going to have an economy running in that 1% or slightly lower growth environment over the next four quarters. The reason why we don't get a classical recession is there's no major inventory overhang. There's no overbuilding in any major hard asset category. Uh, there are no significant financial dislocations that we know about. Um, and therefore, I think in that environment, the hard landing is a more realistic scenario than the outright recession. But an economy running uh, at, you know, sub 1% means Q4 over Q4 growth for this year is about 0.4% in contrast to 5% last year. And that takes down, uh, should take down operating earnings to about 5% growth as opposed to 10 to 11% growth as has been recently discounted by the marketplace. Steve, we don't get the sense that the Federal Reserve is particularly concerned at this point about growth. They're laser focused on inflation. Where do you think inflation will be able to get down to by the end of this year? And where is that going to leave the Fed? Well, again, when you when you think about what's happening, the base rate effects are going to come off. So I think we're going to lose about 3% there. It's everything else beyond the 3% decline in the year-over-year numbers from the peak that are going to matter for the Fed. Um, and I think, you know, I think in the reality of the situation is we're going to come down more quickly. I think we can lose about half of the gains uh, that we've seen in the operating numbers year-over-year. So I believe somewhere between July and, let's say, September, we'll see sort of a pivot by the Federal Reserve away from aggressively hiking rates to to developing a more shallow rate hike scenario that will probably continue over the balance of the expansion. When do you expect us to see the uh, actual tightening matter to the economy, start filtering out to whether it's the slowdown in housing that people are expecting or companies borrowing less money? Well, I think you're already seeing it, to be honest with you. I mean, you look at the headlines of the, the, the conversation by Meta, you look at what's happened to Uber, you look at what's happened to Lyft, you look at the conversation from Amazon that perhaps they may have overbuilt issues. You look at the inventory of some of the um, uh, retailers that we see and inventory is accumulating. And then you look within the, uh, you know, the, uh, the financial uh, component and you look at the people who lend to households in the middle income to lower income areas and they're starting to see already that the performance on their loan book is deteriorating. So I think you're beginning to see it already at the micro level. When do we get it in the macro statistics? I think that just takes about another month or so before we'll start to see Steve, it. Steve, thanks for breaking that down, buddy. As always, Steve Rashuda sure. there from Mizzou America. Let's talk to a member of the Republican Party, Congressman French Hill, Republican from Arkansas. Congressman, let's start there. The president says you have a plan. Mr. McConnell said it's not the plan. What is the plan? Hey, Jonathan. Uh, Lisa, it's great to be with you. Uh, you're right, Lisa. There's not a silver bullet here. 
This is the result of 10 years uh, more plus of suppressed interest rates that have led to increased asset values. And then by the Biden administration, failed policies. They doubled down on spending and increasing demand by adding $4 trillion to spending last year, passed through the Congress on top of the $4.5 trillion that we already uh, spend every year to run the government. And uh, the Federal Reserve was too lax and too late in beginning to shrink its balance sheet and raise rates. That's coupled with the supply chain issues that we have. And here again, the Biden administration has done nothing to unleash American energy or really ease the supply chain constraints on hiring workers, getting truck drivers back to work, easing the logistics burden. So the Republican plan is, first, don't keep spending money like drunken sailors. Two, encourage the Fed to do the work that it should do. And three, let's unleash the supply side and break down these supply chain barriers. Congressman, the Republican plan sounds a lot like the Biden plan, from what you're saying, because they're not talking about spending more. They're actually talking about reducing the deficit. They are talking about investing in the supply chain. And they have talked about releasing oil and gas and trying to figure out ways to bring down costs. What's the distinguishing feature about what you're saying other than just pointing at different places for the blame game? Right. Well, thanks, Lisa. I mean, look, the Biden administration policies are the ones who've created this demand slide surge on top of low interest rates. It's the $4 trillion that he's added in spending in 2021 that was warned against by Larry Summers, Jason Furman, Steve Ratner, strong Democratic economists saying it would lead to too high demand in the face of supply constraint. On energy, it's all talk. He's doing nothing to unleash American energy and make it easier for companies to get the permitting, build the pipelines, get the permits for new LNG export facilities, and get our production back up to over 13 million barrels a day. Congressman, if we could focus on the monetary policy aspect of what you mentioned, having the Fed do its job. In theory, if the Fed does tighten aggressively, it could lead to a higher unemployment rate. It could lead to a slowdown in growth, if not an outright recession, which is something the market in particular is concerned about. Would you be happy to see those things if it got inflation under control? Well, inflation is a thief. Inflation steals for hardworking families. It makes it very hard. And also it hurts our seniors who are mostly on fixed income. This is a uh, result of bad fiscal policies by the Biden administration and keeping interest rates too low for too long at the Fed. So this is the anguish of central banking faced by Chairman Powell and his colleagues. They, they have a tough policy choice of tightening and potentially reducing a recession or uh, not tightening as much and perhaps leading to stagflation or market volatility. It's a tough position to be in, but we should uh, begin to shrink the balance sheet and lower, uh, I mean, raise rates, and the Fed should try to do the best it can to achieve a soft landing, which I know is Chairman Powell's ultimate objective. Hey, Congressman, two points you've made in the last four or five minutes. I'll put some emphasis on them. That this administration made some policy mistakes with fiscal policy, and this Federal Reserve waited too long. Chairman Powell hasn't been confirmed by the Senate for another term yet. Do you think he deserves a second term? I do, uh, Jonathan. Let me tell you why. Jay Powell has the temperament, the knowledge, and the leadership skills to navigate the Fed through this process. And because he was there and I thought did an outstanding job during the pandemic's height in March of 2020, he knows that the Fed has the tools to do this. I want him to own this issue and help guide the Fed through this next phase that's so challenging. What do you think of this term ultra-maga that the president's using at the moment, Congressman? What do you make of that? 
Uh, what I make of Joe Biden is that he campaigned on bringing the country together, and he's done nothing but divide the country even more in the first year and a half of his presidency. He's constantly uh, saying the dog ate his homework on the exit in Afghanistan, inflation, crisis at the southwest border, and to try to build relationships with Republicans, he calls them names. So I don't think Joe Biden has been very effective in managing the U.S. government or building a coalition to get things done on a bipartisan basis. Congressman, great to get your perspective on things, as always. French great to be with you, John. Wonderful Thanks, to catch up. Brilliant, as always. This is the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. Thanks for listening. Join us live weekdays from 7 to 10 a.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio and on Bloomberg Television each day from 6 to 9 a.m. for Insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. And subscribe to the Surveillance Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on The Terminal. I'm Tom Keen, and this is Bloomberg. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.